when you look at our firms, our firms are very often family or founder-owned firms. And so they're having these same kind of conversations. What happens if there's not somebody who's an attorney in their firm to take it over? How do we engage those new attorneys that are coming on that may not have thought when they went to law school that they were going to become a real estate or a foreclosure attorney, and now they find themselves in this new industry? How do we engage them early? And with trade associations, you tend to have mainly the principals who are actively involved in your leadership. So how do you make the organization for the younger people as well. And we've developed some mentoring programs that have been very successful for that. We are actively recruiting younger and newer members of the firm to be speakers at our conferences and to write. And that's one of those things that I think has really been an advantage for us is that we get to engage members, even if they don't have the budget to attend our annual conference, there's other ways that they can engage and make a name for themselves in the industry and find that they're a part of this industry. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story, and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Pam Donahue, CEO of America's Mortgage Banking Attorneys, or USFN. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Pam, tell us about USFN. USFN is a trade association of attorneys who specialize in the mortgage banking industry and very specifically the default space. So, Pam, I introduced you as CEO of America's Mortgage Banking Attorneys, or USFN, and that acronym doesn't match. There's got to be a story there. Tell us about that. There's always a story. The organization is fairly young. We've only been around for about 35 years. And when they first started, USFN stood for the U.S. Foreclosure Network. And probably a few years after their formation, when all of the members knew them well as USFN, as did the industry, it occurred to them that perhaps using the term foreclosure in their name was not as good a positive PR move as they had wanted it to be. Ah. So we still keep the acronym because there's still a lot of people in the industry who know USFN and what we are, but we don't rely on it anymore because we are America's mortgage banking attorneys. Your members are law firms that service the banks and provide these services. Is that right? Yes. They work for mortgage banks or their servicers. 
So many time mortgage banks, the person who loans you your mortgage hires a company to be the servicer, the person who you write the check out to every month. But the servicers are not your members. It's actually the law firms that are handling the defaults. That is correct. So what's the climate like right now in 2024? Are we seeing an increase in foreclosures? Has it leveled off? Are things getting better, getting worse? What are we seeing? Compared to when, I think is the big question. Ah. We are definitely in recovery from the pandemic. And that has been a very difficult road for our industry. Well, it was for most of us. Let's face it, the pandemic was a rough time. But for two years, the foreclosure industry was, by federal mandate, stopped. And so as a result, there wasn't any foreclosure. So what you're seeing now is the banks and the servicers are re-engaging. They're offering all sorts of opportunities for the people who hold the mortgages to get current on their mortgages, to find ways to correct defaults. And so we're seeing really low defaults because the government and our members are working so hard trying to keep people in their homes by offering these various different opportunities. Hang on. So the federal government froze foreclosures for two years. That's correct. What does that do to the industry and to your members? It was a tough time. Attorneys, again, work for the servicers. And so for two years, all of their work was frozen. They got no paychecks. They had no one to bill. And so we really, as an organization, had to look at how to keep our industry alive and thriving so that we'd be ready when we came out of this. Wow. Well, let's talk about those things in a little bit, because I can't wait to dive into that story. But before we do that, let's talk about your journey. So how do you get to become CEO of USFN? By finding a good recruiter. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> yeah, always. No, I've had a varied career, and I'm one of those few people who came into the association industry somewhat naturally. My mom was an association exec, so I grew up as one of those kids back when it was okay for you to hire your kids. I worked every summer and every school break for my mother's association, which was the Associated Locksmiths of America. So here was a woman running a trade, uh, it wasn't a trade association, it was an individual membership association, but it was very much a man's industry. Mm. And so I kind of got to watch at her knee for many, many years and then thought, oh, I'm going to go into the hotel industry. And it wasn't, but a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to work and do some consulting work for an association. And I was their interim meeting planner while they had their annual convention and they lost their CEO, and they asked me to stay on as their CEO. So I have worked for locksmiths, interior designers, used car dealers, 20 years as the CEO of Mensa, the High IQ Society, and now I find myself as the CEO of a trade association. So it has been a very winding road. Wow. So you've been... CEO or staff at these organizations that were trade associations or individual membership organizations in different industries and professions. So what are the common threads in all of this that you took the next job? First of all, you got to say it's members, right? Yes. There is a uniqueness of members versus any other kind of client or industry that you serve is having those members who are so involved. And as you look to being a CEO, it's boards. 
It's the uniqueness of having a board of directors that is elected by its members. You don't go into a retail establishment and know there's a board of directors that's been elected by the consumer. And so it's a very different dynamic. So that's one thing, certainly, that drew it together. And then I think it truly gets in your blood. Let's face it. Mm. Once you've connected in associations, it's really hard to think about going to the corporate world afterwards. At least it, it was for me. Yeah. You know, that's what I find with my guests. They basically say, in some cases, it doesn't matter what the industry or profession is. It's all about the people. And if they fall in love with the people on the board, then they're they're sold. And helping members to come together and make these organizations thrive when they are locksmiths or used car dealers or the smartest people in the world, or in the case of foreclosure attorneys, helping them to come together and make these organizations make their industry better, that's great. It's worth it. Pam, how do you come into a new organization where the industry or profession is very different from what you've known before? And how do you get to know it fast so that you can be effective? Immersion. Ah. I don't know that there's any other way. I personally, I start by reading everything I can get my hands on. And to me, some of the most fun is if you go back and, you know, fun is relative, right? But I love reading some of those early minutes when an organization is founded. Oh. Go back and find them. You know, they've got the minutes book somewhere. They're probably not digitized. They're in a file drawer. Yeah, yeah. And read why people founded this organization. So it's that. And then it's just reading everything you can get your hands on. It's talking to members about their industry. It's asking questions. Do not be afraid to ask questions because there are so many little idiosyncrasies that every organization and every industry brings. You know, Pam, I have found in working with different associations and nonprofits that often the organization takes on some of the qualities of the members. So, for example, when I'm working with a physician group, this is a group that really doesn't tolerate mistakes (laughs) because people die in hospitals when there are mistakes. So what's the culture of USFN like? In that regard, I would say it is for accuracy. Mm. When you have attorneys, it's accuracy. But I really think that the culture of the organization is really much more about how the bigger entity serves its individuals. So even though I do represent law firms, those law firms are made up of attorneys and paralegals and specialists and receptionists. And so it is really about the different cultures of these law firms, many of which are family-oriented businesses that create the culture of USFN. A lot of these are big law firms, but not big in the, perhaps the sense that we might have thought about from our previous exposure, because they are, almost all the law firms are focused solely on the default space. Wow. Well, let's turn back to USFN and your members. So you say that during the pandemic, the federal government said no foreclosures for two years. What were your members doing and how do you support them? And then how do you as an organization survive that as well? I think this goes for all of us, right? The biggest thing was the unknown of how long this was going to last. Nobody said we're shutting things down for two years. Right. It was we're going to shut it down for two months and then two more months and then six more months. So. I think for those first couple of months, it was really just emotional support. 
making sure everybody was okay, checking in. And then it was a matter of developing a plan. We didn't know how long this was going to last. So let's develop a plan. What does that plan look like for all of our members and then moving forward? So our members weren't doing the work that they normally would do. They weren't going to court. They weren't filing briefs. They weren't doing any of these things they would normally do. They weren't contacting people to to pay their mortgage. They weren't doing any of that. But what they were doing and what we have to realize is that there is still a situation. They have control. The attorney has been given control of this file. And so they have to make sure that that information is kept current. They have to make sure that the information is kept secure. So they still had to keep all of their IT folks employed. Mm. They still had to make sure that the place was running. They had to still answer questions because, of course, if you're a mortgagee and you have questions, you're calling and asking and going, well, what, what does this mean to me and how does this impact me? So they still had work to do. It just was a different kind of work. And so I think that that was the first thing is we had to really pivot and look at what our members were doing and how we could help them survive during this difficult time and not knowing how long it was going to be. Pam, you talked about checking in with the members and making sure they were okay. What did that look like? And was that individual reach out or was that kind of a community effort? I think it was both. Let's face it. We all became Zoom experts overnight. Right. And I think that we really had to work on how we took in-person events because in-person events were our both our bread and butter and the reason we existed. Our members are networking fanatics. They love to network. And so we had to try and figure out all of those things that we could do to bring that networking. So we did everything. We did happy hours. We did morning coffees. Every committee that we had continued to have regular meetings, even if they were doing nothing, just so that people could check in with one another. And it gave everybody a purpose. Mm. And after those first couple of months, we got into a rhythm and we developed new types of education programs and we did outreach and we tried everything that everybody else did to, you know, okay, well, we're going to do this event virtually and we're going to do this happy hour. So we did all of that in that first year. We, we tried everything. We wanted to see what was going to work. Pam, let's turn to something different. So you are an advocacy organization, but not in the traditional sense. I find this really interesting because you're not working with Capitol Hill. You're actually working with the regulatory bodies. So tell us about that. It's part of that understanding mortgage banking, and it is a state-by-state issue. So how you deal with uh, having a mortgage or servicing a mortgage in Virginia is different than Maryland, is different than Texas, is different than Florida. And so these attorneys in each of these states have to follow those regulations. But then there's this overarching federal government oversight through the government servicing entities. And they, and things like HUD and the VA, all of them are involved with the guaranteeing of these mortgages. So they have a tremendous say in how things are serviced and what the various different regulations are. So we spend a lot of time helping to educate people at the regulators about what our industry really is. Ah, and what does that look like? Visits, calls, emails, conferences? Yes, and really developing that relationship. So we have found that we develop the relationship 
They come to our conferences. We have one-on-one meetings with them, every opportunity we can get. We'll develop white papers for them that they can share because oftentimes the people that we deal with understand what the issue is, but they've got to, to go all the way up to the top of HUD or the top of VA. And those are people that are dealing with a lot of different issues, not just mortgages and certainly not just default mortgages. So we found that doing things like writing white papers and inviting them to come to our conferences where they can hear what the issues are have been very helpful. Wow. Well, speaking of education, you do something kind of interesting. I think a lot of trade associations see it as their mission to educate their members about what's new, what's coming up, but you also educate your members' clients. So what does that look like and who are these clients? So the clients of our attorneys are the mortgage banking institutes and who they have servicing the loan. So who you write your mortgage out to every month. Those servicers have to be versed in regulations in all 50 states. So one of the things that we do is we offer both through education and other written resources and printed resources and directories information that make it easier for their clients, our members' clients, to do their jobs. Ah, so you're you're basically educating the clients about the environment that they're working in. Absolutely. And there's a high turnover in the mortgage servicing industry. So we're having to educate them again and again and again. Ah. We have done that through some recorded education. We do it through on-site education. Everything we can do to try and make our members' jobs easier because their clients are better educated as well. I see. And I imagine that since this is heavily regulated, you really have to do everything by the book And so you have to stay on top of the regulations. And that's part of what you do with some of your publications. Absolutely. And it's ever-changing because it's changing on the state level and then it's changing on the federal level. And we have to make sure those mesh and where there's conflicts, somebody has to make that decision and say, oops, this is the one that applies. Wow. Pam, USFN is a fairly young organization. You're 35 years old. Does this give you an advantage in any way? Like you're basically born when the web started, (laughs) you know? When I compare it to other organizations that I have worked for, I do think that there is a real advantage to being as young as we are. First of all, we have founders that are still actively involved in the organization. And so I think that helps because you can get them to be a part of the change that things aren't so entrenched that, you know, that founder syndrome has sunk in or that you feel like you just are adding new pet projects onto new pet projects. And I think that the rapid change the industry has seen over these last 30 years has also required that the members themselves are adapted for really rapid change. And so the organization compared to other organizations, I think has done a really fabulous job at changing quickly to really face whatever the latest challenge is. So how's membership? You talked about how within the servicers, for example, meaning the banks or the companies that service these loans, there's a lot of turnover. So how are you engaging this next generation of individuals? When you look at our firms, our firms are very often family or founder-owned firms. And so they're having these same kind of conversations. What happens if there's not somebody who's an attorney in their firm to take it over? How do we engage those new attorneys that are coming on 
that may not have thought when they went to law school that they were going to become a real estate or a foreclosure attorney, and now they find themselves in this new industry. How do we engage them early? And with trade associations, you tend to have mainly the the principals who are actively involved in your leadership. So how do you make the organization for the younger people as well. And we've developed some mentoring programs that have been very successful for that. We are actively recruiting younger and newer members of the firm to be speakers at our conferences and to write. And that's one of those things that I think has really been an advantage for us is that we get to engage members, even if they don't have the budget to attend our annual conference, there's other ways that they can engage and make a name for themselves in the industry and find that they're a part of this industry. Pam, how long have you been at USFN? Just over six years. What's been the biggest change? I would say the biggest change has really been this opening up to a new generation. Those first 30 years, I mean, we know in association speak, that's the growth years. And I think they'll really have the foresight to look forward and think what's going to happen in this next generation. And so engaging that new generation, trying new things. I mean, that's probably the other thing that surprised me the most is this group has been very open to change. We've instituted new programs for DE&I. We've tried all different types of education from virtual to hybrid to in-person even down to, you know, changing room sets. I've been working with organizations that you change a room set that's always been this one way and it throws the entire conference off. Mm. So they've really, I think, been a lot more open-minded to change than I expected. And it's been very refreshing. Well, Pam, my team is working on this hot new product with you. I hope that you'll come back and tell us about how the new product is doing, but also talk to us about what seems to be a really dynamic period in USFN's life. I'd love to, and I'm looking forward to seeing all that we can do in these next couple of years. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!